Hey everybody, welcome to The Eight here at St. Mark Church. Thank you for either watching or listening to the digital version here of The Eight. We are in part two of a series called Suit Up. And the reason why we're calling this series Suit Up here at The Eight is just like depending on what I'm doing in this world, I want to suit up, suit up appropriately in order for me to quote unquote reach success. Like for example, if I'm playing soccer, I wanna make sure that I'm suited up or I'm equipped appropriately with soccer cleats in order for me to win the game. Like I'm not gonna put on like bowling shoes or something else and while I'm playing soccer. I wanna make sure that I'm equipped and suited up in order for me to reach success to win in the battle or in the game of soccer. In the same way, in this world, there's tons of pressures and battles, visible and invisible battles and tough decisions that we have to make. But the question is, are we equipped to fight these battles that surround us day in and day out? Because if I know how to equip myself and if I know how to suit up appropriately to fight these battles and pressures in this world, I can be better. I can be better in this world if I know how to suit up appropriately. For many of us, we try, we, we approach life on being on the defense, like out of fear or making sure this doesn't happen to my family, make sure this doesn't happen to my finances, you know, and make sure this doesn't happen to my career. Like even right now with the coronavirus, we're, we're, we're in fear, so we, we're on the defense, which is good. But the question, the flip side of that is, what are we fighting for? Like we know what we're fighting against, but what are we fighting for? What's our offense? What are we fighting for? When hardship comes, and when pain comes, which is a guarantee in this temporal world that we will have it, when it does come, what's the question are we asking ourselves? Is it, why is this happening to me? Or, okay, here's a hardship, here's a crisis. How is this edifying me? How is this refining me? How is this transforming me from within in order for me to be a, a, a better person in the image of God and to fight the battles in this temporal world? What question are we asking when hardship comes? Jesus, think about this for a second. If Jesus wanted to begin a movement that would rock the world, he would make sure that everything that came out of his mouth was there to make everyone feel nice and warm and fuzzy and sign, to make, make, to make sure everyone feels good all the time. The reality is Jesus embraced the hardships and the battles that exist in this world. He embraced it, and he actually guaranteed them that you will have hardship in this world. But then he said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have come to bring you rest. I have come to make all things new. And there's nothing more encouraging to embrace that, that the one who came to give us the fullness of life itself is the one who embraces hardship and tells us that there will be darkness, but that he himself overcame darkness itself. One of the first eyewitnesses of Jesus uh, in, in his record, or which we know as the gospel, his name is St. John the Apostle. And St. John wrote a very unique, um, like basically a sermon or, or, or a spiel that Jesus gave uh, about him describing who the devil is. For many of us, we think of the devil as like a guy with like, you know, horns coming out of his head and with a pitchfork. And that's kind of like the, like the, the, the only picture that we have of the devil. But in reality, the devil is the master of deception. He is darkness. He is cunning. He, there's so many words that we try to describe him because he's not bound by just like this one little cartoon image. Even Jesus describes him as being the master of deception. And he's trying to tell his followers and he's telling us 2,000 years later that, that deception is the one that, 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 that makes us lose, lose sight and having clarity on our life, 
on who Jesus is and how we can have refinement in life and edification in Christ because the devil is always trying to deceive us and pull us away from the truth, from the truth. So there is this show, uh, I don't think it's still on anymore, but on HGTV there was, show, there was a show called What Not to Wear. And people would come to the show like wearing like the silliest things, the silliest costumes and, and, and kind of weird things in public. And yeah, I, I'm the last person to speak about that, but like they're wearing weird things, but to them, it looks totally normal. To them, it's totally fine. But to everyone else, they're like, man, no one stopped him or her from wearing that out in public. They can't see it. They are self-deceiving themselves on what they are wearing. There was another show called Extreme Hoarders, where people would just like, like store like the craziest things in their houses uh, and, and just pile just junk, just pure junk in their house. But to them, they cherish that and they say, no problem with it. But when people come visit, everyone's like, man, how can you just live in this filth? They can't see it. They can't see it. They're deceiving themselves, but everyone else can. And that's true for a lot of us. Like we look at a friend, we look at a family member, we look at someone else and says, man, how can he date her? Or how can she do that dumb decision? How can she purchase that? And we, and we say that we can see that in someone else, but we cannot see it in ourselves. That is the mastery of deception. What made Christianity so appealing and so attractive in the first century is that people embraced and people had full clarity of understanding darkness, which always left them hungry for more, which left a void, which made them feel isolated. And then they saw life itself. They saw life himself. And they saw the fullness of life himself. That they, they saw the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And they found freedom, they found their identity, they found liberty from this and embracing this. We talked about last time in part one of the eight that there was a first century document called the Didache in which early Christians wrote down, some of the apostles, they wrote down you know, other details as far as the church and about Jesus. And their opening statement in this manuscript, in this document, was saying, there is darkness and there is life. And there is a huge difference between the two. Like their opening statement is this overwhelming thought that they had within the first century is them, of them knowing what darkness is, which always pulling them away and always leaving this void and darkness inside of them and always wanting more, but then also them experiencing rest and life in Christ. And there's a huge difference between the two. One of the greatest missionaries on planet Earth, uh, historically his name was Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. But when he found life, when he found light, himself when he found Jesus and experienced this intimate bond and love with Christ. His life was changed. His life was changed. And he was on a mission to tell everyone about this. I mean, talk about a guy with so much boldness and, and, and a strong type A personality. And he wrote such a wide array of different letters to different countries around the Mediterranean Rim. And one of those cities was the city of Ephesus. And he wrote a letter to the Ephesians who were living in the city and he was trying to empower them. And he wrote, you know, amazing words in this epistle, which, which now is in the Bible. And, and in this letter or in this epistle, think about it into two halves. There's six chapters in this epistle. In the first half of this epistle, St. Paul is telling the people of Ephesus that your identity, your strength, who you are is not found in your career or, or, or your status or, 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 or your finance. It's not found in that or in relationships. Like who you are is found in, in the love of God the Father, the one who designed you, the one who gave you all. 
who gave, who gave you everything. Your identity is in that. Freedom is in that. So he tells, he tries to, to, to drill that point within the first three chapters. The second half of that epistle is where St. Paul makes it clear to them that there will be hardships, but you got to suit up to fight these battles that are coming to pull you down. And so as he's trying to tell them about this, he, he gives them a visual for, the, for him to understand. Look, I mean, just look at an amazing communicator. So he's wanting, now he understands the culture and the psychology of the people of Ephesus. So he's wanting to pull on something that they can understand. So the people of Ephesus understood the army. They understood the military. They understood how the soldiers equipped themselves in order to fight the visible battles of this world. So St. Paul says this in his last chapter in his epistle to, to the city of Ephesus. He, sa- he tells them this uh, 2,000 years ago, and, he, and this applies to us now. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles is not a word that we hear. I, I never hear. So what on earth is, is wiles? Like why, why did St. Paul have to be so descriptive? Why couldn't you say, put on the armor of God and fight the devil? Like why, why does he have to be so descriptive and detailed? He's trying to make a point. The word wiles means a deceiving strategy. A deceiving strategy. St. Paul understood. He embraced the, the, the strategy of the devil. Like the devil's not going to put something in front of our face and say, this is bad, you should do it. No. He's very deceiving. He's super, super smart. So the wiles of the devil are his deceiving strategy. Around the 4th century, there was an early Christian by the name of St. John Chrysostom. And this bishop had a beautiful meditation and commentary as he read this epistle in the 4th century. And this is what St. John had to say about elaborating on what St. Paul was saying to the Ephesians. He says this, The enemy does not make war on us straightforwardly or openly, but by his wiles. What are the devil's wiles? They consist in trying to capture us by some shortcut and always by deceit. The devil never openly lays temptation before us. He does not mention idolatry out loud, but by his stratagems, he presents idolatrous choices to us. By persuasive words and by employing clever euphemisms, Talk about a loaded meditation. What is St. John Chrysostom saying? He's saying the devil's not just going to put like, the, the, the obvious bad choice in front of us. Like He's smart. He knows how to deceive us. He has, he, he, he's very strategic on, on pulling us away from truth, from, us pulling, from pulling us away from life. So St. Paul's trying to tell the man, you got to suit up because what you're finding, the invisible battles of this world are, are very deceiving, are going to pull you away from the fullness of life himself. One thing I want to highlight is, 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 a, is a pandemic, if you will, that exists in our society, in our culture, uh, that a, a, a beautiful strategy of the devil that he's using is hyper-individualism. Hyper-individualism is that we live in our own little individual world. Just to give you one example of this, something that you and I hear all the time in the news when we, when we hear about celebrities or very wealthy people. We hear, for example, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a self-made billionaire. We don't just say he's a billionaire, we say he's a self-made billionaire. Like as if like he, every, he, he did it all by himself in order for him to become a billionaire. But you know this, you know that no one reaches success either financially or in other aspects of life by themselves. 
Like there was people that guided them, that influenced them, that equipped them uh, in order for them to reach financial success. But we describe Elon Musk and other billionaires by them being self-made billionaires. Subconsciously, this sits in our head. Wait, so if Elon became a self-made billionaire, then I can do it too. And we begin to deceive ourselves that I can do it on my own as well. This is a byproduct of the pandemic or epidemic of hyper-individualism, of hyper-individualism. And you hear it all around us in different ways. Well, I gotta do my truth. I gotta do what's true for me. Or love is love. You know, as long as I just love, we, we use these broad, generic, relative words like it, it, that, that just feed our individualism and, and just puts us more in isolation. I want to spend just about a few minutes uh, talking about a, a, an amazing podcast I heard. And what I'm about to share is not my own content. This is from a pastor that I heard by the name of John Mark Comer. And he talks about um, hyper-individualism in post-Christian America. Post-Christian America. So post-Christian America is like a, a, a terminology describing how America was founded on Judeo-Christian fundamentals. And, and that's our, our ethical code as a country. But we have gradually shifted away from that and we become post-Christian uh, uh, America. So this is the quote-unquote theology of our post-Christian America. And he describes it this way. He says, the Garden of Eden for this theology is your inner self doing what's true for you. That's the Garden of Eden. That's where there's bliss. That's where paradise is. Before there was any corruption of, of, of religion or my parents or any external stimulus, my inner self is what's is, is, is the Garden of Eden. This is why we romanticize our childhood. Like uh, before anyone else, like that, that's my inner being. That's Genesis 1. Like my inner being, my inner self, that's paradise, that's the Garden of Eden. Then comes the fall. The fall is anything, any, any form of, of external stimulus or, or, or something that identifies me, like my gender, my social status, my religion, my parents' religion, like all that stuff, that's the fall. That's something that, that's pulling me down. That's, make, that's ripping me away from my inner self. That's part of the fall. In addition to the, what's connected to the fall is any binding commitment. That's the fall. Like So marriage, anything I have to commit to, that's the fall. That's pulling me down away from my inner core self. So I want to stay away from that, but that's part of the fall, a part of this post-Christian America uh, theology. Then the sin is any guilt or shame that comes from that. Any guilt or shame that comes from that. And, that, and, and, and that's the sin. And then salvation is me kind of going full circle and finding my true self. So how do I find my true self? You know, I, I want to do self-help. I want to do yoga. I want to do like my, my Enneagram, um, like I, 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 my, my Zodiac sign. All that stuff is, is, is being true to myself. That's me finding salvation. That's my truth. Like that, that is feeding this hyper-individualism pandemic that all of us kind of struggle with in one shape or form or another. What I'm sharing is one description of this by, by this Pastor John Mark that exists in post-America culture. So the million-dollar question of... of, of is, 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 is me, how do I become true to myself? How do I become true to my inner self? This is what exists in America right now. He also describes this uh, in, in society. Like a hundred years ago, society was mostly driven to being disciplinary. Well, I can't do this because that's not my gender or that, that, that just that, that we were more disciplined a hundred years ago. What he's saying now, society is more achievement driven where we say, no one can tell me, I, I don't want any, any uh, ties from the, from, from the government or from my, my faith or my parents' 
uh, form I, I've, or any of these moral codes or ethics. I want to do what's true to myself. I want to achieve. Like nothing can stop me. And, and, and as long as I'm not hurting anybody, as long as I'm not causing any pain to anyone else, quote unquote hurt, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, this is what's true to me, I can achieve. The sky is the limit. This is what drives and this is the catalyst of our society these days. The reality, like there's a lot of psychologists and sociologists that point that as this has evolved, as, me, as people of moving toward, I can achieve anything and nothing can stop me as long as I'm not hurting anybody, the rate of depression has increased with that. The rate of depression has increased with that. This, had le this, this has led people to burnout. This has led, because they feel like, oh, if I can accomplish anything or I can do anything and nothing can stop me, there's nothing ba uh, binding me down. They've come to the realization, man, I can't do nothing. Like when, when, when there's no boundaries to anything, then they realize, I can't do nothing. And then the questions that start running through these people's minds or our minds as well is, did I become the right version of myself? Did I make the right decision? Did I make the right choice? And, and we're always trying to, 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 to try to get a moving target. We're always trying to get a moving target. And we cope with this, with Netflix, YouTube, with, 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 with pornography, and we try to fill in that void of me trying to become, uh, to, to being true to my inner self. Then what is heaven in this quote unquote theology? What is heaven? Heaven is pleasure, is what's, what makes me happy, is experiences, is vacation, is doing this trip, is just good wine with good people, with beautiful people. This is now, this is heaven, this is paradise of, of kind of going full circle, where there's no commitment, there's nothing binding me, I don't need to be held down by marriage, now I'm good with just me and myself, just me and my dog, I don't, I don't, I don't need to live for anybody else, it's just what me being true to myself. This is now what's heaven. A lot of what I said is not wrong. Okay, I want to make that clear. A lot of the sound sounds appealing, sounds attractive. And a lot of it can actually go for a version of Christianity. Like a lot, a lot of this sounds like the gospel without it being the gospel. So it sounds appealing. But in reality, it's pulling us away from what truth is. Another example is even the word like progressive. Like I, I, like I love Twitter. And there was something like on some HGTV show they were talking about um, on, on, on Twitter and like I, I, I think it was like a guy that had like you know multiple girls and they were looking for a house or whatever and people were saying oh this is the first first episode of something like this this is so progressive this is so progressive just subconsciously when we hear the word progressive it sounds so forward-thinking it sounds so free it sounds so right but then the word conservatism or tr traditional or old school that sounds so legalistic it sounds so binding that sounds so old but progressive it sounds so more so moving forward that's so liberating so even subconsciously of how language is being used in our culture that's pulling us away from what truth is. And it's the beautiful mastery of deception himself. Even the word devil or diablo. The diablo, like if you look at the etymology, is the separation. Like so, like for the, for the look at the word symbolic. Something is a symbol means it's, I'm, I'm connecting two things. Like this is a symbol of this, this is a symbol. Like it's 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 putting together. But diablo is something that's separating. So even the essence of us describing the devil as being diabolic, for example, something diabolic is me separating from my core. It's separating from who I am intended to be. So everything that's just just overwhelming us in society is pulling us away from our core, pulling us away from freedom, pulling us away from the truth itself from truth 
himself. And this is pulling us away. As St. Paul continues to use the imagery of a soldier, he says this, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. He's wanting to paint a picture to them. Is that make sure as you are equipping yourself for the invisible battles in this world and the pressures and the tough decisions in this temporal world, equip yourself and make sure that your waist, that the centerpiece of who you are as you begin to put on the different parts of your armor, make sure that your waist, what's holding everything together, make sure that it is truth. Make sure you're not even deceived with the thing that's going to hold everything, that's going to hold your ammo and your, and your breastplate and, and all your, uh, your protection. Make sure that the thing that's holding all of it is the truth himself. This is why when we come as Orthodox Christians and gather around to celebrate the Eucharist, to celebrate the Divine Liturgy, the ancient words that we pray that has existed for 2,000 years, we describe God by saying this, O you, the being, O you, the being, Master, Lord, God of truth. Like we can't even articulate how we can describe one who is outside of time and space. Though we describe him being the being, we describe God being the being. Lord, God of truth itself. The essence of what truth is, is him. It's not a relative word, it's a constant. He is constant, who desires to refine us for us to become the image of the constant himself. Deception is pulling all of us, including myself, in one way or another. But if I'm wanting to find life, if I'm wanting to find the fullness of life, we have to at least be aware of how relativism, of how hyper-individualism, of how isolation is pulling us away. And we live in a pandemic now of that, of, of, of things trying to pull us away in isolation. And this is skyrocketing of, of individuality. This is skyrocketing depression because of that. Many of us know what the difference between right or wrong. Like there is some framework of ethics, like of morality, like the ethical code. There is some, like if I say don't murder, you get that, okay? Okay, if I say, you know, don't steal, you kind of get that, all right? So there's some framework, there's fundamentals of, of an ethical code of humanity for the most part, okay? We can kind of tell what's right or wrong, but the mastery of deception, the one who's wanting to pull us away from love himself, is, is, is the difference, our issue, shouldn't be the difference between what is wrong, right and wrong. I want us to have clarity of the difference between what is right and what is almost right. Don't focus on the difference between what is right and wrong. We get that for the most part. But let us be sensitive in our heart to know the difference between what is right and almost right. When Eve was at the tree, when she was in, in the Garden of Eden, that tree looked pretty close to that. But the mastery of deception himself said, man, what's the big difference, Eve? That tree just looks like that. That apple looks just like that. And the, and the, and the mastery of deception, the, the cunning of the devil, deceived her. And this is what led her away and, and broke that intimate bond of God's love. Let us learn from that. And for us not to fall into deception and, and pull us away and listen to the, like, the voices that are around us or in our head, but for us to continue to seek life liberty and freedom and truth from the one who says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Let us suit up. Let us suit up to fight these invisible battles and pressures around us so we can begin a new start and come to the one who said, I have come to make all things new 
for I am the truth who desires to give you truth and new life in me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we are grateful for your love and you desiring to, to always renew us and to always to give us new life. Lord, we desire that we want to have clarity on what is truth and who you are in our life. We want to refine ourselves, that when the battles come and face us every day, when pressures and tough decisions come our way, we want to ask, what is truth? Because when we seek and pursue that truth, this is how we can fill that void and darkness and hunger inside of us. Because we are designed to be spiritual beings because our Creator is spiritual. Lord, give us clarity on that and help us to move in the direction together as your children. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys for listening or watching The Eight this weekend. Hope to see you soon. All right, take care.